Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Now remember, I don't know if you guys grew up in the 80s, maybe some of you. Maybe you guys remember. There was this big campaign against drugs. You guys remember that? A guy was, you know, while Nike would say, just do it, the government would say, just say no. You guys remember that? And the guy would come, he goes, bring up an egg, this is your brain. And then he would crack it, put it on a hot skillet, and it fries up, and he goes, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Yeah, can I eat that? Like, make me some? It was good. But during that time in the 80s, there was such drug problem that, like, everything, including the license plate from Florida, were, like, pulled over because they thought everybody from Florida dealt with drugs. It was that kind of thinking beyond Florida. If you were always here, you don't know. But if you were from Virginia or New York and you saw Florida plates, the cops, seriously, it, it did. And then during that time, conversations about peer pressure was much more prevalent. Especially for teens, I remember listening to messages on TV programs saying, just say no, you don't have to do it. Don't make others force you to do something you don't want to do. And I remember thinking that, going, I don't know about this peer pressure. Because they're saying it's everywhere, but I didn't think so. Because I did it because I wanted to. I was curious, not saying, you know, I ought to. I didn't think that there was this peer pressure. Looking back, I was just totally deceived. I didn't realize that peer pressure was much more prevalent and existing everywhere. Meaning, even though my friends didn't twist my arm to try or experiment with different things, but there was this peer pressure that I wanted to be accepted, loved, appreciated. I felt like I was already in there, so there was no peer pressure, and I was one of them. But what if I didn't? Could I be rejected because I wasn't one of them? And I realized that peer pressure was much more common than I gave it credit for. And peer pressure is not just about the teens. It's everywhere. The the idiom, keeping up with the Joneses, Isn't that peer pressure? It's like you see someone you like, you appreciate, you value, you respect, and you want to be just like them. In fact, we all play that part. Uh, You do things that you may not want to do to win the heart of the other. It could be your friends. It could be your professor or teacher for that grade. It could be your parents. Or it could be that cute redhead. Just saying if somebody's into that redhead. Not me. (laughs) Well, these are the norms of our culture. We all subject ourselves to do things for the acceptance of the other. And that's okay, except when we do things that is not consistent with our character, that is not consistent of who we are, our identity. You guys with me? To win my wife's love, yeah, I do things to win her heart. And that's not a bad thing. But when I start acting in a way that I'm not out of my character, then something should be tested on that. 
Apostle Paul recognized that there were some people who were walking inconsistent to their identity and calling as followers of Jesus Christ in the early church, among the leaders. And as a good apostle, good pastor, he confronted his issues head on. And we're going to look at a couple of those issues. He confronted the church. He confronted the leaders. He confronted with a same heart that says, you, that's not who you are. You are more than that. And he was trying to raise up, lift up the church to their own calling, to the calling of the Lord that is much higher and better than we think that we are. You with me? So if you have your Bibles, we're continuing in the book of Galatians. We're looking at chapter 2 today. So it's always good. I will always have those, and you guys know this, I will always have the verses up. But I always tell you, bring your Bibles. It was great. We had our discipleship class this week, and everybody brought their Bibles. It was awesome. Except me. I had my computer with my multiple uh, versions. But I tell you that no matter what format you have, you need to be able to highlight, make notes of your Bible. Whether that's electronic format. If you can't make notes on it, that's not the right format. I'm just saying. If it's paper, great. That's the old-fashioned way. It works, and it's timeless. But you need to mark your Bibles because that's how the Lord speaks to you. Before we get into Galatians 2, let me give you a little backdrop because some of you guys were with me last week, but it's always in proper context that we read the Bible, we understand the Bible of what was originally intended. So uh, Apostle Paul, as a missionary, uh, toured and reached the, the churches in Galatia. He ministered to them. He planted the churches there, and they were great. Th these were the Gentile beliefs. Gentiles mean they were non-Jews. This was unprecedented because the, the church, Jesus Christ, came for the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jews. And then he extended that to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Before, the, in the Old Testament, the non-Jews were the excluded. They were considered the sinners. You were not supposed to hang out. If you were a Jew, you were not supposed to hang out with the Gentiles because they might influence you. They might, you know, be the bad peer pressure, you know, influence in your life. And so when the gospel is reached to the non-Jews, and Apostle Paul is called to commission to reach the, the, the lost Gentiles, it was great. Churches are planted. Not long after he leaves, he's, he hears a report that certain Pharisees or certain Judaizers, they called them, who came and said, gave two big accusations. One, Apostle Paul was really not an apostle. And two, that the gospel that he preached was not the full gospel. It's like what you have heard, and then there are some more requirements, the religious requirements, whether it's the circumcisions or whether it's certain restrictive dietary things of the Jews. There were these things that they accused Paul that he was not telling everything. Now, I don't know if you've ever been accused with slander, with lies, but it, it does something. He, Paul was livid. And so he immediately addresses these accusations with truth, evidence, and logic. And he starts off, even Galatians 1.1, he starts off the letter where it says, I, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, 
but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He began the letter from the very get-go saying that he was an apostle, not from man nor through man, meaning his apostolic ministry, his apostolic position and authority did not come from himself or what people around him positioned him, but it came from God directly. And then starting in verse 11 and following, he shared how his life was like, this is his personal testimony. He talks about how his life was before Jesus Christ, before he encountered, and if you guys know the road to Damascus story, Paul was a forefront Pharisee who persecuted the Christians in violence. And, it, and there's even a story of uh, first deacon Stephen, who was stoned to death. He was there uh, giving the approval, commissioning the people around to kill this man. That's who this Paul was. He was awful. And he, in his testimony, he said he was zealous for the tradition. Zealous for the Jewish ways, the heritage of how his parents had raised him up, culture, education, all of that. Like he, that's all he knew until he encountered Jesus. And when he met Jesus, when the Lord wakened him and allowed him to see what the truth was, he was forever changed. Like bar none, 180 degrees. And I don't know if you've, any of you guys had those moments where it's like, you encounter Jesus, I hope everybody, you encounter Jesus and you get this aha moment. It's like everything makes sense. You understand everything. It's like this cloud is lifted up. I remember in college when I first got saved, I remember walking on campus like it was everything looked brighter, clearer. The way I was thinking was different. And I was like, this gloomy cloud over my life that I didn't even know it was over my life was like lifted and I could think clearly. I tripled my GPA. My GPA was that low in the first place, but I was able to triple my GPA. My attitude changed. I like it was the lifestyle that I lived was no longer attractive to me. Everything was like bam, 180 degrees immediately. Paul shared that. When he came into Jesus, like, everything shifted. And it comes back to the 2 Corinthians 5, 17. says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has gone or passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's when you come in faith with Jesus Christ, your identity, your old nature in sin, your old, how you used to be, is gone. It's crucified. It's no longer. It is you have been raised in a brand new creature, creation. Our ESV and NIV says, your creation. If you read the King James, it says creature, which is kind of interesting. Uh, a pastor friend who told me, like, he was ministering to this one guy who came up for prayer, and he said that verse, except it was, he said the King James, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And the guy goes, would you call me? You call me a creature? And he wanted to, you know, confront the pastor. And he's like, no. He tried to explain. He never used that version again. <laughs> Creation. But we do become a new creature. You are different after you come in Christ. Paul went from persecuting the church to receiving the direct download from God, this revelation. 
and all his life, all his Pharisee Old Testament training, his law-abiding mindset, when he encountered Jesus, all of a sudden, everything made sense. If you guys don't know, and, and he briefly alludes to this in Galatians, but he said immediately after he got encountered Jesus, he went to Arabia, which is translated as wilderness. So depending on your translation, he went into the wilderness for three years. He didn't go to Jerusalem for the seminary training and education and, and whatnot. He went into the wilderness, and the tradition has it that it is the Lord Jesus who gave him these revelations. And this is what it means. You know the, um, the book, of Revel- book of Romans that you guys read? It's a theology letter. It's a letter to the church in Rome, but if you read it, it's so in-depth theologically, it is our theology book, the first theology book. Apostle Paul wrote that in three months. We have a hard time reading that in three months. He wrote that in three months, sending it as a letter. I don't know if it was a first draft, but I'm like, when I learned that, it was during his travel. And, like, wrote that in three months? That can only be supernatural God where God's Holy Spirit inspired and gives a direct revelation. All the law that you have ever studied, it made sense in context of who Jesus was. Crucified, risen Christ, the Messiah. Okay. That's the backdrop. I had to do that quickly because I have a long sermon. I don't know why. There is so much content in here, and I didn't want to skip over everything. At the same time, I don't want to be too in-depth. But he tells all of that, then he gets into chapter 2. And he says, chapter 2, 1, says, 14 years later, I went up against, again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in, went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those whom seemed to, who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we had in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. I want you to understand what he's saying here in chapter 2, very beginning. He went from sharing his personal testimony about before Christ, then after Christ. He went to the Arabia, uh, wilderness, direct download. He's ministering. He's being missionary. Fourteen years later, he really was not, he didn't go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a central, I guess, the church plant, the early church leadership was involved. If you are commissioned as a missionary, you're more than likely, you you're sent from a church. That would be the first church in Jerusalem with a council, all the leaders, the pastors, the apostles are, are there. And he's like, I had nothing to do with them. Jesus commissioned Paul directly to go and reach the Gentiles. He was doing that. 14 years later, he's like, now I came back to Jerusalem. You guys with me? And then he talks about, oh, there were these brothers, circumcised, you know, who infiltrated the leadership and was trying to persuade the uh, certain Gentiles to get circumcised. But he was like, I brought Barnabas, I brought Titus who were Greek. And he's like, they did, these leadership didn't even try to persuade them to get circumcised. You with me? Why? Because it was irrelevant. It was not necessary. 
And I want you to know that even uh, Apostle Peter, if you read the book of Acts and the early story of how this happened, he had a direct revelation from God that he was allowed to eat barbecue and lobster, and it was all good, which is hallelujah. No, really, right? Yeah. Come on now. Barbecue and lobster. You couldn't do that as a Jew. God says, you can eat it. And not long after, Peter is sent to Cornelius, a, a Gentile um, soldier, centurion soldier, leader. And he witnesses to him. He becomes a believer. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the family. So Peter's amazed. He's like, wait a minute. I thought the gospel was for the Jews. Yes, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Now God was expanding this gospel account to all people. Peter knows this, but are they supposed to act like the Jews with circumcisions, with dietary restrictions? Now, things are completely changing in this new covenant of Jesus Christ. So, and Paul brings this up to say, look, John, Peter, James, right there in Jerusalem, they're the council, they're the church pillars, and they didn't even try to make us get circumcised. Why are you? Because he's addressing the Galatian church. Why are you trying to make us get circumcised? It's irrelevant. The key leaders who were above you didn't even try to make us get circumcised. Why are you? Okay? And he was dealing with their very issues. And in verse 8, 9, he says, For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of the fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Reiterating the apostolic ministry. You heard that I'm not an apostle? Man, it wasn't those guys who empowered me to be an apostle. It was Jesus Christ. And all they recognized, these pillars, because nobody refutes in apostolic ministry, Peter, John, James. They were the top three guys in the church. They were the church planting of the church planters. They didn't empower Paul to in the apostolic ministry. They just recognized the grace that was already on Paul. They said, God's on you. You got it already. We see that Jesus is on you. Go. You keep doing it. That's what he's saying. Paul brings logic, evidence, story to reiterate, giving evidence that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ himself, not by man. He wasn't doing his own will. It was God's will. And he was making very clear with evidence, testimony. And the, when somebody lies... The more details they give is more room that their lies can be disputed. You guys know that? So if you're lying, you're better off not saying much. Paul gives so much details that at this time in history, if people want to refute his apostolic ministry, his position, they just have to point to one of his many details that he thinks that wasn't true. And then his whole testimony would be refuted, and he'll be considered a liar. You wouldn't need to believe him. He gave so much details because it was true. 
naming the top names who recognize his apostolic ministry to the Gentiles. I don't know. Maybe you guys experienced this. What Paul was going through in the Galatian church is very similar to um, people who grew up in one church all their life, and they believe that all that church did was a standard of the church of Jesus Christ. And when they go to another church where they hear others are doing communion a little bit differently, or they're taking, you know, baptism a little bit differently, it's like, no, you're doing it wrong. There's a difference between what is right and what is tradition. We had our discipleship this week, and I talked about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I know, this sounds very technical here. Uh, John Wesley identified that there are four things that exist in every religious belief system. There's scripture, there's tradition, there's reason, and experience. Every belief system, including the atheist cults, um, Buddhism, Muslim, right? There's, they have their own scripture, they have their own tradition, reason, and experience. And I talked about the three, tradition, reason, and experience, are all finite, man-limited. Your logic, your reason, depends on your education, depends on your background, depends on how you think. Atheists will have a whole belief system based on their reasoning. Tradition is man-made. Tradition in one place is going to be different than another place. And as a church in America, we're like less than two, about 200 years old. It's not that old compared to other cultures that are thousands. Some church like the Catholic Church, Orthodox Church, they value tradition. There is only one way of how they go about communion, baptism, infant baptism, or all of those things. But all these things are finite. Only Scripture, God's Word, is eternal. Only God's Word is not limited by man, but it's by God directly. I, I share all that to say our highest form of authority has to be from Scripture. Not reason, not tradition, not experience. But, tr but Scripture affirm God's will. Paul was bringing up what was true. His position, his authority. And that it was the Lord who called him to do his will, God's will, that was preaching to the Gentiles wasn't doing his own will. You guys know the difference between God's will and your will? Right? God's will, you're doing it for him. If we're talking about peer pressure, you're doing it for the glory of God. You don't do it because, oh, I love it so much. You could. That would be your, still your will. But you do it, God, what, are you, what do you want me to do? That's God's will. Your will is when God is excluded. I do it because I want to. I do it because I, it feels good. I do it because... That's my desire. And, and we often will say we do things without consulting God and think, what could it hurt? A lot, actually. If we don't consult God and do things, even if it looks good, it could be hurtful. Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Peter, was considered one of the key pillars of the church. And when he acted on his own will, not the will of God, Apostle Paul confronted him, challenged him, opposed him. 
we get into Galatians 2.11. It says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, this is James, the brother of uh, Jesus, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, Jews. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So to be very clear here, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he didn't believe Jesus when Jesus was alive, but after the resurrection, he came to re recognize that, oh my gosh, Jesus, what he was saying was true. And he became one of the key pillars of the early church. In fact, he was considered one of the bishops, depending on the traditions that you read, and he was one of the main councils. In Jerusalem council, you're talking the highest leaders of the, all the church after the Pentecost. Prestigious, he's the who's who. He sent certain prestigious leaders, sending them to Antioch, okay? Now, what happened was Peter used to hang with the Gentiles, was to eat with them, not a problem. He was hanging out, eating with them, and I want you to know that in the Old Testament, you didn't eat with, if you're a Jew, you didn't eat with the Gentiles because there's a law that says you're going to be influenced by them, you're going to uh, intermarry with them, you're going to adopt their gods, and so that was clearly forbidden. He's eating with the Gentiles, no, not a problem, until these certain um, religious leaders came from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Peter takes a step back. He doesn't want to be seen with the Gentiles. Come on. You guys understand what's going on? If I'm hanging out with you and somebody comes and I stop hanging out with you, you might feel pretty rejected. Like, what am I, you know, chopped liver? What's going on? Even Barnabas was like, he was led astray. He was one of the missionaries with Paul. He's, even he's led astray. This hypocrisy infiltrated the church. And Peter's like, oh, what harm is going to I, I, I like these guys. I, I don't know if he had such respect or reverence, but he was trying to keep up with the Joneses and doing what they wanted, peer pressure, as opposed to what God wanted. And Paul's like, come on. He opposed them. It says, to his face, that sounds pretty harsh, but um, it's an idiom in that first century to say he talked to him face to face. He confronted him, not by texting. You know? Yeah. So he <laughs> talked to him face to face and addressed the will of God as opposed to the will of man. But I, I, I love Paul's approach. I would hate to get in a fight with Paul. Just saying. Because he's pretty smart. There are people you get into debates with, and there are people you just, like, eh, no, nah, he's, he's, he's got me. I mean, we don't even have to start. But he said this one thing. Is it 2.14? Okay, yeah. It says Galatians 2.14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, non-Jew, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You guys hear that? He's like, Peter, dude, you're born a Jew. You're a Jew. You're as Jewish as they come. 
you don't even act like a Jew. How are you trying to force the non-Jews to act like a Jew that you can't even follow? You guys with me? It's like, what hypocrisy are you trying to do? You can't even live up to the standard. Why are you trying to get these guys to do what you, nobody wanted to do? Get circumcised and, you know, avoid barbecue. Like, why? And he was calling out the hypocrisy. And the point he was getting at was this, Galatians 2.16, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. That word justification, just, justify, is that word justice. What is justice? Well, if somebody wrongs you, you want justice. You want it, that wrong to be absolved, to be paid, right? Justified, justification is that our sin required payment of death. Our sin required that somebody had to pay the price for the mistake that has been made. And Jesus, when he went on that cross, he says, I pay in full. Therefore, you are justified, you are paid for, it's even. Clean slate. That's justification. You cannot, once already pay, you don't have to pay more into it. I love like when we go out to eat and somebody pays, what do some people do? It's like, oh, let me, thank you for the meal, but let me um, help with a tip, right? And it's a great gesture. Because we're saying is, I appreciate that, but let me try to help out and give the tip. Believe me, that works for me, but doesn't work with Jesus. Because it's like the bill's paid for. You don't have to pay anymore. It's like, I want to give my tip. It doesn't help. You guys with me? It's like your $100 tip on a million-dollar check doesn't make that much of a difference. Because Jesus paid with his own life. He paid with his own, like, breath, blood, like the most costly of eternal God, the creator. He's like, I pay for it. It's justified. You are justified. There's nothing you can add to add value. And Paul was like, you can't justify yourself more because it's already paid for. You can't follow the law. You couldn't follow the law. That's why only one who could follow the law who is Jesus Christ, the God's own son, paid for it and says, now we don't have to. Again, ceremonial law that we talked about. Man is not made holy by observing the law, but by believing in Jesus Christ, who died for our sin, who justified us. We align ourselves in the faith of what he has done, not in what we can do. Jesus don't require our tip, but he requires our hearts. He doesn't want us to give add to the payment. He just says, I want your heart. I want you. I want you to know me. I want you to grow with me, walk with me. If you want to serve, that's great. But it's not adding on to the value or the relationship that we have. There's a difference. You guys know, right? It's one thing that you want to... Spend time with 
Jesus because you love him and want to serve him and do what he's doing as opposed to, Lord, let me be diligent and faithful to you. I want to be found faithful so that you can see me worthy. He's already made you worthy because what he has done. Your value is not what you do. It's your value is who God has made you. Anyone who tries to go back and follow the old covenant is only saying, what Jesus did was not enough for me. That's lack of faith. You're saying what you can offer is better or more than what Jesus had done? You crazy? That's foolishness. And so those sophisticated religious people might make you give you pressure to say, you need to do a little bit more. That's a lie. That's believing in a lie. Don't let anyone twist your arm to make you believe that you need to do anything more to add to that. It's a lie. So don't do it. But here's the truth. Galatians 2.20, and we'll end with this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I think I forgot that. Okay, yeah. My bad. Sorry. She gets stressed when there's no slide. It's on me. I forgot. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. And here is that gospel truth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. He is a new person. The old has gone. New has come. You are brand new. The identity, the power that has been given to you as a new person is far beyond what you can expect. Right? The old nature has died. Your old nature and the sinful nature, your broken nature, gone. It's dead. Crucified with Jesus. You rose again in, in his uh, born... <laughs> rose again from death with him, with a new identity. And he has given you a new nature without sin as a child of God and heirs with a promise and heirs of all that he who he is he's given it to you the problem for many of us is that we think we're still in the old nature that the old nature has been crucified with Christ but we're like oh I'm still a you know sinner God's always forgiving me whenever I make a mistake when I was in Thailand there was this uh elephant camp. It was like elephant farm camp, almost like an amusement park with elephants. If you like elephants, you would have fun. They had incredible show. I imagine these giant beasts, okay, thousands of pounds, super strong, and they trained these little Thai guys with a little stick on them, and they're playing soccer. I kid you not. They're on the field playing soccer with a giant soccer ball, and they train the elephants to play soccer. So they're, they gave this huge dart, and the elephant would throw through the trunk, grab the dart, and threw at a target and hit the target. Didn't hit a bullseye, but it was pretty close. He needed more practice. But man, have you ever seen an elephant throw a dart? There were so many things that they trained this elephant 
oh man, this one, and you can YouTube this. Have you ever seen an elephant paint? Craziness. I kid you not, just before us, he had a blank canvas, and they would give the elephant a paintbrush dipped already in paint, and he would draw. He painted an elephant with a mountain in the background right before our very eyes. And I heard that they go for hundreds of dollars on eBay. Craziness. These giant beasts, thousands of pounds, and these tiny trainers would just guide them to tell them to order what to do. And like, even when they're not working, they have this little small rope tied to a little post and I'm thinking, at any moment, if the elephant knew its own strength, he could break that rope, he could go into the jungle, and be free. But they don't. Why? Because these elephants, from the very beginning, in their earliest years, the trainers have trained them that they cannot leave. The trainers have trained them with that little stick and their rope, maybe some abuse, that they cannot leave. They are trained slaves, as cute as they were. They have no idea their power, their strength, their ability, their intelligence. They only know what the trainer allowed them to know. In the same way, the world has trained you with that small rope, with that small stick, telling you, come back this way. You can't do that. Peer pressure, religious pressure, parent pressure, traditions of your culture that you grew up in have trained you and gave you your limitations. And it breaks my heart that within some church traditions, they have trained the people that the gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit doesn't work today. With that lie, people are oppressed from experiencing the fullness of God. They cannot go beyond that faith to believe that God still empowers his people because the church has oppressed them with a bad theology that says cessationism, it, God's Holy Spirit has ceased. It doesn't work today. Baloney. But I'm saying there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of the little sticks in your life that has trained you to be slaves that you were never meant to be. The gospel is here to set you free. We're talking about freedom. And we're going to go greater depth of what that freedom looks like. But it's not for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. It's not about the color of your skin or lack of color. It doesn't matter who we are, where we come from. It is that Jesus has redeemed us, restored us to be one in him. That is the family of Jesus Christ. What is the expectation of the cultures and traditions? The, the news, they were trying to infiltrate us and trying to contain us in the language of racism and division and sec, you know, segregation. That was never meant to be. But to those who are in Christ, there is this freedom, redemption. As you come to know who you are, you can break that chain, you can break that rope, and no little man with a stick can contain you because that's you're a son of God you're a 
daughter of God. There's nothing greater. Be free, church. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.